Thank you for tuning in with us at Bayou City Fellowship Spring Branch, a community that's radically focused on Jesus. We are currently celebrating the Advent season together as a church, remembering the story of the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fulfillment of God's promise and prophecies. We pause to reflect on His arrival and long for His glorious return. Well, first, I just want to thank uh, Joel Davis for preaching last week. Uh, my wife and I were celebrating our wedding anniversary on a little cruise, and so we were gone last week. Um, whenever my wife and I and family go on vacation, what I try to do typically is before anyone else gets up so we can enjoy the rest of the day together, is I'll usually get up really early before anybody else, and I'll go for a run and do a little workout. And if I have time, uh, if, if it's a, a possible, like in a hotel, it wasn't possible on this cruise ship, I'll take my Bible with me and my little journal and do my devotions as well before anyone else is up. But here's the problem if you've ever uh, tried to do that. Um, anybody else here like uh, maybe get up for their roommates do or their spouse does? Anybody like get dressed in the dark? So if you're one of those people who has to get dressed in the dark, who has to get ready for work or get ready for school in the dark, you know the challenges of getting ready in the dark. And so here we were in our little cruise cabin every morning. I get really early have my clothes laid out, but even when I had my clothes laid out to go run and work out, it was in the dark, and so I couldn't see anything until I got to my cell phone, and I would turn on the little light feature on my cell phone, and now I was able to get dressed in the dark. And so here's the thing. You don't appreciate light until you're in darkness. Amen? You don't appreciate light until you have to do something in the dark. You don't appreciate light until you go to work one day and realize that you're wearing mismatched shoes because you got dressed in the dark, right? Now, here's the thing. Um, all of us in here are born in what's known as spiritual darkness. And we may have physical light, and not only physical light and physical darkness, but we're born in darkness. And there's three types of people in this room right now and in this world. And here's the first group of people. Those who are walking in spiritual darkness. First Thessalonians 5.22 says that there's a spiritual component to us, a soul component, and a physical component to us. And that spiritual side of us is dead, apart from being reborn in Jesus Christ. And so you can be walking in spiritual darkness. So again, picture the person who gets up in their bedroom before anybody else does, or gets up in the hotel room before anybody else does. You're tripping and falling over furniture and suitcases and all that because you are walking in darkness, trying to do the best you can, but walking in spiritual darkness. But there's another group that now because of faith in Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is this light, which we're gonna look at from Isaiah chapter nine, this light that's now come into the world and now you can see, you've been given a flashlight, so now you can navigate the spiritual life in your life because now you've been given light. But here's what happens, very often we receive that light and we have that light in Jesus Christ and yet choose not to walk in that light. We'd rather walk in darkness still because maybe it's familiar, maybe it's comfortable. And the last group of people here today are those who are saying, you know, I've placed my faith in Jesus Christ, I've received Jesus Christ, and now I have light. I can live this life and walk in spiritual light. So today we're going to look at, from Luke chapter 1, is just that. This concept of what I call waiting for the sunrise in the midst of spiritual darkness, in the midst of moral darkness, in the midst of even intellectual darkness, what did God do? So look at your Bibles in Luke chapter 1. Verse 57, Luke 1, 57. Luke 1, 57 says this. 
Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son. This is John the Baptist, obviously. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her, and they were rejoicing with her. So remember again, in those days, that if you were infertile, unable to have kids, you were looked down upon. And because of that, when uh, Elizabeth found out she was going to be pregnant with child, she hid herself for five months because she wanted to make sure that this pregnancy was going to stick and she would not be the scorn of all her neighbors and relatives. And so now, after nine months, she has given birth to a healthy baby boy. And again, scholars believe at this point, Elizabeth is probably in her 60s or 70s. So imagine a 60-year-old woman, 7-year-old now giving birth to a healthy baby boy. And because of that, giving birth has now given birth to a healthy baby boy. And because of that, at the end of verse 58, says that her neighbors and her relatives were all rejoicing with her. Here's point number one, rejoice for the wait is over. They've been waiting for nine months. Gabriel's appeared to them saying, you're gonna have a baby boy named John, and he's had, they've had this child. Luke 137 says, what's impossible, with God all things are possible. That even this woman, who's probably in her 60s or 70s, has now given birth, and because of that, both she and her neighbors, all of them are rejoicing because God has been merciful to her. So the question for us, as we've looked at over the last few weeks, is this. What is the impossible thing, the seemingly impossible thing that God has called you to, that God has assigned you to, that God has says, this is for you, that on the outset, from the, uh, looking at it just on paper, it looks impossible, but you know this is what God has called you to do. And this is what happens here in Luke chapter one. Here's Elizabeth and Zechariah. You're going to have a baby boy. Zechariah says, how can we in our advanced age? He's now mute and he's deaf. And yet now here at this point in verse 57 and 58, we see the birth of John the Baptist. So my question is, what is that impossible thing that God has called you to do? But remembering that Luke 137, if God's called you to do it, if God said he's going to do it through you, with God, all things are possible. Um, how many of y'all have ever gone out to eat lunch or dinner or breakfast with some coworkers or maybe some friends or relatives that don't know Jesus Christ, that aren't Christians, that may not even be particularly religious, and you have to try to figure out how are we going to pray for our meal before we eat? Anybody ever figure that out? Anybody? Six of y'all. All right, great. Oh, there's people over here too. All right. So uh, on this cruise that we were on last week, we were there, and normally this ship has about 4,000 people. They had 50% occupancy, so they had about 1,700, 1,800 people on the ship, so it was really nice. But on the first night we were there, we were sitting at a table of six. They assign you a dinner table, so it's my wife and I. There are four empty seats at this dinner table. We've been assigned seating. And so they randomly assign other guests from the ship on this little table with you. So here we are at a table of six, and all of a sudden, these four gentlemen are sitting before us. And I ask them, where are y'all from? They say, Nacogdoches, Nacogdoches, right? And then they say, and I say, what do y'all do? And they say, we're in business together. So here I am with my wife, celebrating our anniversary. I've got to figure out now how we're going to pray before this meal. My wife and I celebrating our anniversary with these four guys that we don't know. We don't know if they're believers or not. The guy sitting next to me is Hispanic. And so I asked him his name. He says, my name is Job. And I'm like, that's interesting, like a guy named Job, right? So then I was going to think in my mind and praying, saying, all right, Lord, now how do I broach the subject? Maybe I'll say, hey, that's a name from the Bible, <laughs> right? And so then we're just chopping it up, talking and stuff. And then all of a sudden I asked him, I said, hey, so Job, what do you do? And then he says this, I'm a pastor in Belize. <laughs> right on, right on, all right. 
The guy sitting next to him, his name is D. Williams. D. says, and I'm a pastor from Nacogdoches area. I'm like, oh, right on, right on. And then the other two guys are saying, yeah, we're Christians as well. We actually know Job because we've done missions work in Belize with Pastor Job in Belize. And I'm like, great. And they say, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a pastor too. <laughs> and they're like, really? And, and D is a good old Southern Baptist pastor, right? So I'm like, we're SBC as well. Bayou City Fellowship. Because, oh, that's amazing. So then D goes, why don't I pray for the meal? I'm like, yes, pray for the meal. So we all prayed together. But this is what Pastor Job told us. Pastor Job told us about his impossible story. He said he grew up in a very poor village, didn't have a whole lot. He became a park ranger in Belize. Now imagine Belize, if you've ever been there, is absolutely beautiful. He says, I'm living the dream. I'm as a park ranger taking tourists and others who like the jungles and beaches of Belize. But yet I've got this emptiness on the inside. I've got my dream job making a good income, but I'm empty on the inside because I know God is calling me to full-time ministry. I'm making a good income. I have a career for life. I'm taking tourists in the jungle and doing all this amazing stuff in a beautiful part of the world. And yet I've got an emptiness on the inside. And so he says, I answer the call to full-time ministry, came back to the Nacogdoches area to train with some pastors here. And while I was here, I just sensed that God was calling me to be a pastor. And he says, that's the farthest thing from my mind of wanting to be a pastor. I was serving as a leader in a church but there was like nothing in my mind saying, I want to be a pastor. And I knew it was from the Lord, but I knew this would be impossible because unlike in America, the people in Belize are so poor that they cannot support a pastor. So most pastors are bivocational. They work a full-time job and then pastor on the side. And he says, if I was going to pastor full-time like God wanted me to, this was something that was going to be utterly impossible. And yet he said, while I was training in America, in Nacogdoches, training to be like a missionary and do missions work, I got a call from the church I, I was helping out in Belize, and the pastor said, I'm stepping down. I've got some health issues. I'm stepping down, and I believe God is calling you to be the next pastor of the church. And so he says, he said, I've got goosebumps on my arms as I'm telling you this. And these pastors from America said, hey, we will support you to be the pastor of this church in Belize. And so he says, I saw God do something that I thought was impossible on you. God had called me to be a pastor didn't know how it was going to happen. Here I am now, pastor of a church in Belize, supported by a lot of these churches in America, doing what God has called me to do. Now, can I give you all some good news? Uh, he wants a team from Bayou City Fellowship to go down to Belize. So we exchanged our phone numbers and contact information. So for those of you who are saying, hey, let's go down there, they do a lot of uh, ministry work in the rural villages. And many of the villages, uh, they do some building of homes and other things. And then in the afternoon, they do vacation Bible school with the kids, share the gospel in the evening. They have like revivals, invite people from all throughout the town to come and hear the good news of Jesus Christ. So if you're interested, uh, hopefully Lord willing will happen that we'll go to Belize. But Pastor Joe told me a story about what he thought was impossible God may pause when we see it here in verses 57, 58. Let's move on. Verse 59, and it happened that on the eighth day, they came to circumcise a child. So according to Genesis 17, all good Jews, Jewish boys would get circumcised on the eighth day from Genesis 17. So they're being obedient. They take John to get circumcised. And they were going to call him Zechariah after his father. That word they there is not Zechariah and Elizabeth. They're talking about the friends and relatives, I believe, in verse 58. So the friends and relatives have gone now in this circumcision ceremony with them, saying, hey, aren't we gonna name this boy Zechariah? Verse 60, and yet his mother responded and said, no, indeed, but he shall be called John. The Lord is gracious. 
And they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who is called by this name, because in Jewish tradition, you would name your child after uh, the father. And yet there's no one in their relatives in their line by that name. Verse 62, and they made signs to his father as to what he wanted to be called. Most likely he made these signs because he was deaf. He couldn't hear either. And he asked for a tablet and wrote as follows. His name is John. And they were all amazed. And at once his mouth was open, his tongue freed, and he began speaking in praise of God. And fear came upon all those who lived, lived around them. And all these matters were being talked about in the entire hill country of Judea. All who heard them kept in mind saying, what then will this child turn out to be? For indeed, the hand of the Lord was with him. Here's point number two, on another, uh, another opportunity to trust and obey. If you remember from Luke chapter one earlier, when Zechariah heard from Gabriel that this child be named John, that even in his wife's advanced age, that she would bear a child, because he doubted, he questioned, he went deaf and mute. But now on the second go around, he has a second chance. And here's, aren't you glad that God gives second chances? Amen. He has a second chance right here to say, all right, his name is going to be John, even though, and listen here, even though his relatives and neighbors are saying, shouldn't you name him after you? Shouldn't he be called like Bar Zechariah? Shouldn't he be named after you as your son? And rather than listening to them, because he remembers what Gabriel told him, and I'm sure he told his wife, no, his name is going to be John. So if you're ever at that crossroads, you all, of listening to God and obeying God and listening to your neighbors and friends and relatives, always choose God. That's what he happens here to demonstrate his faith and trust. So God gives him a second chance. He says, you didn't believe the first time. You doubted the first time. But now God has given you a second chance. On the eighth day, he circumcised. And notice what I love about this in verse 66. He says, what then was child turn out to be? Not do, be. They knew he was significant, that God's hand was on this child. Who would he be? And if I can encourage the parents in this room, pray for your kids, not what, what they're going to do one day, but who they're going to be in Christ. Men and women of character, men and women who are going to be witnesses for Jesus Christ, men and women who are going to be servant leaders. So pray for what they're going to be. So he has a second chance. And like Samuel, he was set apart. And like Jesus, we'll read on later in Luke chapter two, he'll be set apart as well. So he's given another opportunity. And here's the thing we'll wrap up with what's known as Zechariah's prophecy. And this is where it talks about this thing called the light. Um, before I go there, look at verse 72 and 73 and underline these two words. To show mercy to our fathers and remember his holy covenant. Underline that word covenant. God is a promise-keeping God. And we're going to point out three covenants in this chapter or this section. Verse 73 and the other word there is the oath. The oath which he swore to our father Abraham. So underline covenant and oath. And this, if you are a Greek nerd like me, forms a chiasm. It forms a chiasm from verses 68 through 79, a perfect like X. And verses 72 and 73 are right in the middle, which says the focus here is God is a promise-keeping God. God has promised to send light to those who are in darkness. And that's the oath, the covenant, the promise that he's made. God is a promise-keeping God. Verses 68 through 75 actually form one long run-on sentence. And it's talking about Jesus and Messiah to come. So let's read it, verse 67. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed, that word blessed is where we get the English word eulogy from. He's giving good words up a Lord God of Israel. 
Why does he bless God? For two reasons. Number one, for he has visited us. He has visited us. How has he visited us? He visited us with Gabriel. Because before that, there was about 400 years of silence. They had not heard from God at all. And now God has visited them. And then number two, obviously, is John the Baptist and Jesus is coming as well. So he's visited us and accomplished redemption. He's redeemed his people. Second reason is because God has redeemed his people, not just in this sense. They're under Roman occupation. They've been exiled to Babylon before. They've experienced exile before, not only because they're now being redeemed and set free in terms of a people, nationalistically and politically, but also now God is going to redeem them spiritually as well. So he's accomplished redemption. So he praises God for two reasons. God has visited them and redeemed his people. Then verse 69, has raised up a horn of salvation in the house of his servant David. You can underline that word horn as well. So the horn, just like on the horns of a ram or a bull or it's, uh, it's deer hunting season, right? So on a buck, right? Antlers. It's the power. On a, on a bull or a ram, it's the power. He's now sent the power of salvation in Jesus Christ in the house of his servant David because we know that Jesus was born in the line of David. And this is a reference to the Davidic covenant. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 16, that amongst someone from the line of David, there be one who be raised up, which is Jesus. So this is a reference to the Davidic covenant. And there's about 16 other references, sorry, 15 other references in the Old Testament in this prophecy of Zechariah, who is an Old Testament priest, so you'd assume he would do these things. Verse 70, just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient times, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, and there's a section again, to show mercy to our fathers, remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham. Second mention is the Abrahamic covenant there from Genesis chapter 17 and others. I think there's six references in Genesis to the Abrahamic covenant. He says here, here's a reference to Abraham. Verse 74, to grant to us that we being rescued from the hand of our enemies would serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So here in verses 68 through 75, we have this mention of this Messiah, Jesus Christ, to come in fulfillment of the Davidic covenant and the Abrahamic covenant because God is a promise-keeping God. Verse 76, and you, child, talking about his son. Oh, I'm sorry. And the other thing to mention in verses 68 through 75, the verbs there, like uh, visited and accomplished and raised and spoke, are all in the past tense, even though this has not happened yet. Jesus is not born yet. John the Baptist is born. Three months later, Jesus is gonna be born. So Jesus has not been born yet, but because Zechariah knows that God is a promise-keeping God, he speaks in the past tense of something that is yet to happen because you can bank on it. If God says it's gonna happen, it's going to happen. It's called the prophetic past. He speaks of the future in the past tense because he's so confident that God is gonna do it. Verse 76, and you child, John the Baptist will be called, now he's gonna switch to the future tense, will be called the prophet of the most high for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways. And now here's a reference to the third covenant which is the new covenant, Jeremiah 31. To give his people the knowledge of salvation. He's gone from national and political freedom from enemies Captivity, occupation, oppression, now to personal freedom, to
to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. This is something not mentioned in the Davidic or Abrahamic covenant, this thing of being forgiven for our sins, to have a new heart, to have a relationship with God through a new heart in Christ. Verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us. That Greek word there is anatole for sunrise. Some translations say, I think, revelation or appearing. And it's a picture of a visitation from heaven. And I think it's a great translation here to talk about a sunrise. Just like if you have experienced 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 hours of darkness at 6 a.m. every morning, you see the sunrise. What's once dark is now revealed because the light has come. And that's the picture here. He says, you all have been living in spiritual darkness, spiritual and moral darkness, but God is now going to send a light, and this light is Jesus Christ. We've got time. Let's go to um, Isaiah 9. Look at Isaiah 9. A very familiar passage during this time of Christmas. But we're not going to look at 9.6. We're going to look at the verses that precede it. Isaiah chapter 9. Look at Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. This is a verse that is on all the Christmas cards. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace or the throne of David or over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. So Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 are talking about who? All right, I heard like a couple people here. Who is, who's it's talking about Jesus, right? But look at verse 2, verse 2. The people who walk in darkness, Isaiah 9, 2, the people who walk in darkness, not physical darkness, but spiritual darkness, will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, not again a physically dark land, but a spiritually dark land, the light will shine on them. So this is what Zechariah is talking about. Zechariah is prophesying, saying, Isaiah 9, 2, dark land, people in darkness, they're going to see a great light because the sun is going to rise and that son is Jesus Christ. Let's wrap up here. Go back to Luke 1. He says, with which the sunrise from the high will visit us. So again, there are three people in this world. There are a group of people who are in the land of darkness who walk in darkness. Not physical darkness, but spiritual darkness. And just like it is difficult, if not impossible, to navigate and do life in physical darkness. That's reality number one. Second one is those who have seen the light. They have come to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now they have the light. But rather than walking in the light, they continue to walk in darkness. Maybe because it's familiar. Maybe their creature's a habit. And then there are those who now walk in the light. They have a abiding. They have a submission to Jesus Christ. They want to do it Christ's way. Christ is their king and they walk in the light. So my question is, for those who are here today who have placed their faith in Christ, why are you not walking in the light? Why do you not abide and radically focus on him when you have now received the light? Why continue to walk and stumble in darkness? You can put that chart up of the different covenants. Uh, I think I've got the three up there. 
So three covenants in Zechariah's prophecy. Number one is Davidic in verse 69, the Abrahamic in verse 73, and the new covenant in verse 77. And notice this at the very end, verse 79, to shine on those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, reference again to Isaiah 9-2, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Underline that word peace. When we think of peace, we think of an absence of conflict. Like when you go to Christmas this year and there's no fighting between your cousins and your uncle and that one always nagging person in the group. When you don't have that conflict, you say, oh, we finally had some peace in our home. We finally had a peaceful Christmas. No one got stupid drunk and no one did this, right? We finally had peace at Christmas. That's how we would tend to define peace. But this is not how they're using peace here. The peace they're talking about here that we can now walk in peace, uh, our feet in the way of peace means this. It means that we are now right with God. We're now right with God. We were at once enmity with God. We were at war with God. We were now enemies and opposed with God. But because of Jesus Christ, we now have peace with God. We now have an amicable, loving relationship with God. That's the peace that's being talked about here. And this peace that we can experience with God on the inside can transform how we see the world on the outside. So you may have a family Christmas full of conflict and mess and dysfunction, and yet inside, because now you have peace with God through Jesus Christ, you can have peace in your environment as well, no matter what chaos you're experiencing. He says, That's the new covenant. You can be forgiven for your sins. You can have salvation. You can now have peace with God. And what happens in verse 80? After the birth of John the Baptist, now child grew and was becoming strong in spirit and he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Verse 80 is a parallel to the part when Jesus Christ is born. The first, I think, six words. Now child grew and was becoming strong in spirit is a parallel to how Jesus grew in his early years as well. Here's a big idea for today. Christ brings light to the darkness. Christ brings light to the darkness. That's the reason why Jesus Christ came. Not physical light, but spiritual light. For those living in spiritual darkness. And that's why at the Christmas Christmas Eve service, we're going to light candles. We're going to have a candlelight service. That's why when you drive through your neighborhood tonight and see all the Christmas lights... You see this light in the darkness. It's a symbol. It's a picture of Jesus Christ that in a dark and weary land where people are tripping and stumbling and walking and living in darkness, Jesus Christ came to bring light. He is the light. And so my question for those of you who have yet to put your faith in Christ, could today be the day that you leave this land of darkness and now walk in the light because you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ alone? for your salvation, to be forgiven for your sins and now have peace with God, a God who's perfect, who's totally righteous, that you now can have peace with God. And for those of us who placed our faith in Christ, that you would walk in the light, that you walk with Jesus Christ and pursue him because you've been now given that light. You no longer have to walk in darkness. Um, you don't have to show your hands. I know this is probably not the most... Uh, Thing that people are proud of. Uh, I've talked to many people who battle panic disorder, anxiety disorder, and when I was battling it myself, I remember talking to many godly men and women, 
And when I shared my story, I'm like, you are too and you do this? I didn't even know. But there was a time when I battled panic disorder and I don't know if you ever have, and I'm not gonna ask for a show of hands, but if you battle depression or anxiety or panic, uh, some of the worst times are right about when you're going to bed. And the counselors say the reason why is because for the next six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 hours, you lose control. You're totally out of control. And for those who are like, have to be in control and control their environment, control their situation, control, that's what often is the dread of going to bed at night, is because you are about to lose control for the next six, seven, eight, or nine, or 10 hours. And I remember many times about to go to bed, turning the lights off, everything is dark, and just having a massive panic attack. And this is what I could not wait for. If you've ever been there, you can understand this. I couldn't wait for the sun to rise. I just couldn't wait for the next morning. I couldn't wait till the next morning. And again, many of you probably don't understand that. But when you have that situation where it feels like there's just darkness in your soul, when you have that dark night in your soul, you just cannot wait for the sun to rise. And my friends, that's where we are today. Not in an emotional sense, not in a psychological sense, but Advent, the beauty of Advent is this, the beauty of Christmas is this. To those who live in a dark land, who walk in darkness, Jesus Christ is the sunrise. Let's pray. God, I do pray now uh, for everyone here today who's yet to put their faith in Christ, that though they may live in physical light, they may have light all around them, they can see their hands, they can see their feet, they can see the people sitting next to them. God, would you show them that they are in darkness spiritually? And God, I pray that today will be the day they place their faith in Jesus Christ, uh, the light that has come into darkness so that they can now walk in the light, to be forgiven for all their sins, past, present, and future, to now be able to call you their father, to call Jesus their king and their savior, and to be able to call other Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, to be adopted in the family of God. God, I also pray for those uh, who've placed their faith in Christ already, the Lord Jesus Christ. But God, I pray that we would walk in the light. God, what a picture of those who have now been given a flashlight, a bright, beaming flashlight. And rather than turning it on and walking in the light, choose to continue to live and walk in spiritual darkness. God, you've given us your word, which reveals your will to us, which reveals you and your character and your nature to us. God, how tragic for us to continue to walk in darkness. So God, I pray, empowered by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, that we would walk in the light. God, thank you that during this Advent season that we have come to announce Look at all the Christmas lights around you. Look at all the candles around you. It's a symbol that Jesus is the sunrise. He's come to bring light to the darkness. And we ask it all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. I'm gonna ask the prayer team come on up to my left and right. If you need prayer, uh, if you place your faith in Christ today and you wanna follow up with somebody, the prayer team's available to follow up with you.
They'd love to do that. If you have a prayer request, if you are going in to a very dysfunctional family situation over the holidays and you need prayer for that, they're available for that as well. Also on the app, you can submit your prayer request. We'd love to pray with you. You can submit your uh, prayer request through the app. We'd love to join in prayer as well. This is your time to respond to him. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that you feel encouraged. To stay up to date with our current sermon series, you can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you would like to find more ways to get involved with the Bayou City family, visit us online at bayoucityfellowship.com or download the Bayou City Fellowship Spring Branch app to find community in the body of Christ.